Welcome to the QI Chatroom. I'm your host, Kelly Bond. This podcast is brought to you by Redwood Community Health Coalition, or RCHC for short. We're a network of community health centers and a wellness education site throughout Marin, Napa, Sonoma, and Yolo counties. We formed in 1994 with a mission of improving access to and the quality of care provided for underserved and uninsured people. This podcast is all about quality improvement, or QI, in healthcare. We'll bring you speakers from our member health centers, outside health centers, county and federal agencies, healthcare plans, and more. Those speakers will discuss promising practices they've identified at health centers, the latest data on specific health topics, and engage in conversation with our live audience. We've been hosting these chat rooms since late 2018 and transitioned to the podcast format in the fall of 2019 to reach a greater range of listeners. We hope you'll join us as we share the latest in quality improvement with you. This episode features Dr. Joshua Weil of Kaiser Santa Rosa and the Jewish Community Free Clinic and Dr. Deborah Roberts from the Jewish Community Free Clinic, who will discuss COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy. Dr. Joshua Weil is a practicing emergency physician at Kaiser Hospital in Santa Rosa. He grew up in Northern California and completed his BA degree at the University of California, San Diego, then received his medical degree from the University of Illinois, Chicago. He returned to California to complete his residency training in emergency medicine at UC Davis Medical Center and took a position at Kaiser in 1998. He served as chief of the emergency department for over 11 years and also served as chair of the Chiefs of Emergency Medicine for Northern California from 2007 to 2011. He was the assistant physician-in-chief for hospital operations from 2011 until mid-year 2019. A strong interest in volunteerism and disaster medicine has taken him to Sri Lanka following the tsunami, Louisiana after Hurricane Katrina, Haiti to respond to the earthquake, and the Philippines following Typhoon Haiyan. Locally, he has served on the board of directors for the American Red Cross Sonoma Lake Mendocino chapter since 2011, and the board of directors for the series project since 2014. He is the immediate past president of the series board. He has been a regular volunteer at the Jewish Community Free Clinic for almost 15 years, and in 2014, assumed the role of medical director there. Dr. Deborah Roberts has been a nurse for 40 years. As a doctorally prepared nurse, her career has extended into many aspects of nursing, including acute care, leadership, public health, education, and currently in the role of a family nurse practitioner as she completes her final semester of the master's program at Sonoma State University. She moved to Sonoma County in 2007 to take the position of nursing professor at SSU. She currently holds the position of associate vice president for faculty affairs at SSU. For the past 14 years, she has been the clinical director of the Jewish Community Free Clinic. Her efforts at the clinic have supported the care of those in the region without health insurance to ensure a positive path towards health and wellness. Here's the conversation I had with Dr. Weil and Dr. Roberts about COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy. 
So my first question for you guys, since you both are at Jewish Community Free Clinic in different roles, is there anything about that clinic that our listeners should know before we get started talking about uh, vaccine hesitancy? Well, one thing I think is important for people to know is that you need to be neither, you don't need to be Jewish to be a patient or a volunteer there. So sometimes people seem to think that you can only go there. And, and I think it's really important um, that people know that, that if people have a healthcare need and they don't have insurance and they don't have any other, they don't have options, we're always there for them. We're open to everybody. And so I think that's really important for people. And it's also important for people who want to volunteer. You don't have to be Jewish to volunteer there. <laughs> so we welcome everybody. Thank you. Yes, I I think it's also important to understand the patients that we see right now are not just uninsured, but um, underinsured. And we have kept going through the pandemic with telehealth, in-person visits, and uh, we do see our share of patients annually uh, between 3,500 and 4,000 encounters. Great, thank you. Could you expand on what COVID-19 vaccination efforts look like at the Jewish Community Free Clinic? And maybe Josh, you could also talk about Kaiser since you are also at Kaiser. And um, what, how are you involved in that effort? What do your roles look like? I'm gonna to refer to Deborah first to start talking about the, the clinic because she's really spearheaded that effort. Thank you, Josh. So as soon as we were able, which was in January, we started ordering uh, the vaccine that was available at the time to us, which was Pfizer. We were able to vaccine um, the first tier that was announced, which were um, first responders and healthcare workers. And subsequently, we have continued to work through the tiers as they are announced. And currently, we have three vaccine clinics a week for. Um, by appointment, of course, and uh, we're very proud to be doing our effort um, in vaccinating folks. Right now, we're working very diligently on vaccinating our Latinx community, which is a big part of our population, and we have a lot of um, folks that come over from the Great and Day Labor Center, and then we're also working diligently to vaccinate our local food service workers uh, as well. So, I mean, I'll, I'll just expand on that a little bit to say that, and, De and Deborah mentioned, you know, our, our inroads to uh, the Latinx community. And, you know, one of the really important things when it comes to vaccines is trust. And uh, we have uh, a degree of trust with that community because we've been serving that population um, for a long time and been available. So I think that has helped us and helps continue that um, that relationship that will, will serve us uh, with that particularly vulnerable population. I would say that, you know, at Kaiser, right, we're a big operation. We're part of a bigger operation. Um, and there were some hiccups initially, you know, uh, there was such a demand, as everyone knows, for the vaccine and yet so little supply that really made it challenging initially. We, even when you're trying to follow the tiers, um, you can be overwhelmed with the people who uh, try to access it. So, you know, initially we said you would could uh, schedule your appointment through your provider. And of course the offices were getting overwhelmed by those calls. And um, so we've changed the process um, and put, put it out uh, through a call, through the call center and online. 
Um, we're, of course, at Kaiser, I mean, the importance of this vaccine is um, that everyone gets it who's, uh, who wants it, who can get it, who uh, shouldn't have bar barriers. And so you don't have to be a Kaiser member to get your vaccine through Kaiser. Um, there are um, online and through the call center, there are ways of doing that. So we've, we've, um, we've moved through some of those processes. And, uh, and now we have a pretty streamlined. I mean, as people who are involved in this know, we don't want to waste any doses. So the importance of scheduling people and then having a backup plan when someone doesn't come and a backup plan for that. And, you know, we don't haven't had to pull people off the street, but to that level of preparedness to make sure that uh, vaccines go, don't go wasted, especially since there's been such a supply strain. And um, so we, you know, we have now increased our capacity at Kaiser. We were you know, we started off, we're doing a couple hundred a day, then it was nearing, uh, you know, 800 a day. And this past week, we've done between 1500 and 1800 a day. And we're um, basically staffed up to have about 2000 a day. But again, we have uh, doctors doing non doctor work, we have nurses doing non nursing work, because it's just all hands on deck to be able to get people through the process. I feel like this is, you know, you mentioned, Kelly, that I've, I've been to disaster relief, and I, that's a very important part of the work I do. And yet, I feel like this work that we're doing now is the most important work of our lifetimes. I mean, this is it. This, this is a pandemic. This is worldwide. This has completely thrown off our communities locally, our states, our countries, everything. And this is the, the most important work that we will ever do in our lifetimes in, in uh, medicine. And so I think it's all hands on deck in any way that we can. Thank you. Yeah, you, you both mentioned supplies, uh, supply of the vaccine being an issue, which we've all heard about. My next question is about vaccine hesitancy. It sounds like, at least in the beginning, that probably wasn't as much of a concern because you just had so many people that wanted the vaccine and not enough supply. But did you run into any, uh, at the staffing level, any hesitancy if your staff did not want to get the vaccine? And how did you address that? Yeah, so first of all, I think it's important to, uh, vaccine hesitancy is a very broad term. And I think uh, I heard uh, someone on NPR actually really kind of uh, put it succinctly that there's different, really different ways of defining it. So are you talking about um, vaccine mistrust for people who just don't like vaccines in general? Are you talking about uh, vaccine safety uncertainty for people who were concerned about uh, the so-called rush of, of this vaccine, vaccine. Are you just talking about vaccine indifference? People who think, hey, I'm young and healthy and what's a little cough and cold, I don't care. So you really have to uh, address all those different areas. And we certainly had a lot of people who had concerns, uh, especially among staff. And I think still amongst the public is still out there. I mean, yes, we're getting a lot of people now who are the first 40, 50, 60%, but how do we get to that last 30, 40%? Um, and those are the people who do have those various concerns. And so I think if you're going to plan to uh, address, say, your staff, a group. So I, I've done a couple of presentations to 100 plus people uh, in, at Ceres, at, uh, at, at Kaiser, and I try to anticipate what are some of the concerns. So certainly there are people who are concerned about the safety of this particular vaccine. So helping people understand that this is not something that was developed in a year. This was 30 years in the making, this technology with the messenger RNA, 30 years in, in the making, that we have a long history of, of vaccine and vaccine safety um, in this country, you know, going back 100 years or more, that we have, uh, that, the, that uh, the difference between an emergency use authorization and a full FDA approval does not cut corners on the safety steps. And so I think that's really important for 
for people to understand that that the uh, that these vaccines were all tested to the same extent that every other vaccine in the last uh, 20 years has been the 21st century in the United States. So there really are no corners uh, that were cut on that. Um, you know, other concerns people have, um, you know, they'll cite their, again, when you're talking about indifference, well, you know, only 1% of people die from, from COVID. And, you know, that's largely true, although not necessarily depending on your age, your underlying health, but but recognizing that that the, it's not just a binary outcome, you're well or you're dead, that there's a lot in between, whether it's four weeks in the ICU on a ventilator, whether it's ongoing loss of smell and taste or ongoing pulmonary cripple, uh, or you know, young athletes who have, have collapsed on the courts from, from myocarditis. So there's a whole other realm. And, and also understanding our place in society. And you know, the, I tell a story of, um, of an elderly gentleman who I admitted to the hospital, who was unfortunately probably going to die um, from COVID, who had been completely isolated, only was with his wife. His wife happened to work outside the home. She was careful, but she worked in an office. And somebody in that office must have gotten it. She didn't notice that she had any symptoms. He got it. So recognizing that chain of connection to others in society, I think makes people realize that this hopefully is more than, than just themselves. So there's a whole litany of things that I can talk about. And when you're gonna, if you're gonna address a large group, then I think trying to anticipate those questions. And then the next and important step is to also send out uh, notification to that group and, and gather questions. Cause you're gonna come with other questions, whether it's about safety and pregnancy, whether it's about um, you know, who's behind the vaccine and are there, are there financial uh, pressures to get it done quickly, whatever their questions are. If you get those out in front, you can answer them uh, ahead of time and be prepared for those. And then being honest with people. And if you don't know the answer, saying, I'll, I'll get back to you, that's always critical. So I think those are some of the things. And then if you're going to go one-on-one with people, like the guy I had in the emergency department the other day, who at the end of our visit, I asked him if he had any other questions. And he said, he said, yeah, should I get the vaccine? And uh, I talked about him, you know, on his level, what were his concerns? And he was one of those people who said, well, you know, uh, I'm, I don't know if we know the long-term outcome from these vaccines. And so I, you know, told him about the, really the history of the vaccines and, and the messenger RNA vaccines in particular, and also pointed out that what we really don't know is the long-term outcomes from COVID, but we know lots of medium-term bad outcomes. And we also know that lots of cancers, for instance, are associated with viruses and COVID's a virus and certainly we, remains to be seen. So when I kind of weigh the balance of what we don't know about COVID and what we don't know about the vaccines, it comes out way in favor of the vaccines. And so I think that helped him see that the importance and the safety of the vaccine. So that's generally my approach. So Kelly, in, in addressing this from uh, the nursing perspective and the team approach is we work first on site at the Jewish Community Free Clinic to make sure that um, all of us are have the same message. All of us are empathetic to the questions that the patient is asking. Josh brought it up before. We do have a high level of a trusting relationship with our patients. And so being able to meet them where they are find out what the fear is, because a lot of times we know it's fear, and a lot of us are fearful of things, whether it's founded or not. And so asking what the barrier is, I think, is very important. And then asking about people's health beliefs. Um, I'm not from Sonoma County, 
And so it, it was quite interesting to me, the different pockets and regions of the county and surrounding counties that we have people who um, don't receive any vaccinations. So it's not just the COVID vaccination, but it's any vaccination. But the thing about COVID that, that is very different than other diseases, you know, for example, whooping cough and measles and other diseases that most people may not see in their lifetime, everybody's been affected by COVID. Everybody knows what COVID is. Everybody has one degree of separation usually of somebody they know got the virus and all the effects that are happening around the virus. And so having those candid conversations of this is where we are and this is where we need to be. And um, the other candid conversations are around uh, which vaccine. And I like what Josh said when we were talking about, um, well, which vaccine is best for me? The one you're getting today. That's, a, that's a, just such a Josh comment of his wit. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, that's the approach, too, is to always meet patients where they are. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I, I think, you know, and, and never, I don't think people do this, but, you know, never to say you're just wrong. You know, you don't want the vaccine, you're wrong. So you never beat people over the head with, you just try to meet them where they are and understand what their concerns are and then lay out the evidence and then help them. But in the end, it's, it's going to be their decision if you try to, you know, jam this decision down their throat, it will never work. Thanks. Well, you guys covered a lot about patient vaccine hesitancy as well. So that was going to be my next question. If there's anything else you wanted to add about patient vaccine hesitancy, if there were any uh, common concerns that you've been hearing, I think we you know, talked about that a little bit, or any language, any specific language used to address those concerns. So I don't know if we're quite at the point where we'd be using presumptive language based on supply still, but um, I know with other immunizations, we would that's often used presumptive language. Okay, you're going to get this shot today, whereas we're, you know, we're scheduling people out for COVID. So any thoughts on, on any of that? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we talked about a lot. I think the most common concerns I see are certainly about, you know, whether this safety was rushed. And again, I really emphasize that, um, that this, the safety steps taken for this vaccine have been exactly the same as every other vaccine approved in the 21st century. And even, you know, before that, um, and also, you know, again, particularly when you talk about the messenger RNA vaccines, I try to get, I mean, I am excited about the technology. The technology for the mRNA vaccines is so cool. And so, I mean, obviously it's gonna be Nobel prize winning, um, but, you know, if, looking back, it's a, it's a 30 year road to this, to this outcome where we are now. And um, so just being excited about the vaccine and talking to people about that, I think takes it to a different level. And so I try to share that excitement. I mean, this is, this is science at its best. I mean, it's really cool stuff. So I think kind of having some of that excitement sometimes helps. And, and again, you know, you can go through the history of vaccines, you can talk about it. And I, Deborah mentioned, I mean, I think this is one of our challenges, uh, you know, in the, in where in our lifetimes, my career in medicine is that nobody, nobody knows anybody who was in an iron lung. Nobody saw kids die from whooping cough. I, in my training, I was, you know, when I was on Pete's ICU, I was up all night long, with a with a toddler with with pertussis with whooping cough, but very few people have seen that in the United States. 
Um, and we haven't seen people, we don't see people die from tetanus like I did in, in Sri Lanka, you know? And so, so people in the United States have lived this relatively safe life when it comes to infectious disease. And, uh, and I think that's hard. Now, I, when I originally started doing my presentation, I actually put some slides in that showed some of these bad outcomes. And I was told, uh, don't, don't put those up. That's, that's kind of that fear factor that I, I try to stay away from when uh, and, and it felt a little bit like beating people over the head. And so I stepped away from that. But having that in your background, understanding that and understanding that, again, as Deborah's pointed out, people just, they haven't seen it in their lifetime. So it's hard for them to grasp the what it's like to, you know, that people used to have 10 kids because, you know, seven of them were going to die before they were 20. Right, right. You know, there's there's one aspect that we haven't touched on that I, that you talk to your friends and your loved ones and your neighbors and everybody to say, gosh, I miss going to the movies and I miss eating out and I want to go here again and I want to travel and I want to do this. How do I do that? Well, you do that by doing your part and your part is to get vaccinated. So everybody's been, their life has been affected. Parents, as we know, are just going nuts with children at home um, and trying to do work and homeschool. And so we have a lot of people that may have not had, had their children vaccinated against other things, or but now they kind of see the benefit. Oh my goodness, if people get vaccinated, if I get vaccinated, because it's not approved for children yet, so don't get me wrong there. But um, my kids go back to school, uh, we can go out to restaurants, we can go to parks, we can have birthday parties. The other big impact that parents are concerned about is growth and development of their children and their younger children that haven't been able to get out and play with others and learn those skills that you learn as young children. So those are conversations to have. How is life going for you right now? And this is what you can do for life to be different. Well, one other area that I'll mention, I don't, you know, uh, is that a common area that I see is uh, young women of childbearing age concerned about uh, the safety of the vaccine for either around sterility or around safety in pregnancy. And while this, the, the early testing so far, and this is the difference between, e, uh, you know, emergency use authorization and, and full FDA approval, hasn't specifically looked at, at women uh, who are pregnant. There were many women who became pregnant during uh, the vaccine trial, and um, and in addition, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology fully supports vaccination because of the high risk to women who are pregnant for, from uh, severe illness if they get COVID. So all, always those conversations should happen in conjunction with uh, their providers, but I think that's a, a common area that uh, people should be prepared for. I have one final question and then we can open it up to the group. Um, if you have any advice for health centers that are also addressing vaccine hesitancy, now you've touched on a lot of things about how you've been handling it, but if you have any other advice for health centers, we'd love to hear it. Well, I think, you know, Deborah talked about this too, is that the importance of having this, everybody on the same page and your staff, so that the messages are consistent. And so that does require some pre-work. You know, it means preparing the preparing uh, information for your staff so they know some of this background and, do, you know, doing a talk. And and again, uh, that's when I would really encourage you to, um, to uh, solicit questions and comments before your talk so we can make sure you address those so that everybody is on the same page around those. Um, 
And you know, I certainly have a a talk that I'm more than happy to share a PowerPoint. It's it's mine. It's it's not approved by uh, by Pfizer or by Kaiser or by anybody. It's one I put together, but I'm happy to share. But um, but I think it's really important to kind of do that ahead of time, lay that groundwork so that everybody's on the same page. I think signage is really important in, in your clinics is another thing. So when you have patients visiting, they can get literature and information and please have signage in um, minimally in English and Spanish uh, for our Latinx population. And if there are other languages that you can um, get things from the CDC, hand them out when the patient is waiting. Um, you know, patients have some downtime in all of our clinics where you can give them something to read or you could give them something to put on the, you know, to scan on their, on their phone. Um, almost 100% of the patients who are doing that 15 minute wait time, wherever it is, are on their phone. You watch any of your patients in the lobby or in the exam rooms, they're on their phone. So if you have something that they could scan that looks kind of exciting or has some information for them, just have it right there um, for them to scan so that they can look at it. Um, so I think those things are really important. And, um, and I can't reiterate enough how excited I am to be a part of this effort in what we're doing right now and how how it's lifted the level of joy and enthusiasm and happiness um, all around us when we're giving those vaccines. And that's, I have to tell you, that's really contagious in our clinic and how people feel about that and how excited they are. The level of conversation is just so happy and those, those feelings when a patient comes into a clinic are palpable. And I think that's really important for our patients too, to have hope. And, and yeah, and I think it's true for the patients as well. I tell when people ask me what the most common side effects are, I tell them joy, optimism, hopeful outlook. Um, those are by far the most common side effects of getting the vaccine. And, um, and you know, and when I was in the vaccine clinic last night, um, and I was, after the observation period, I was telling people, congratulations. And I said, you know, your food's going to taste a little bit better tonight. The sun's going to be just a little bit brighter tomorrow because you're going to feel optimistic in a way that you haven't in a year. That's very true. Thank you both for sharing that. We have a couple minutes left. Do we have any questions from our audience here? Deborah, when you're talking about them uh, scanning information on their phone, were you talking like a QR code, like what we're doing at the restaurants now, where it's like scan this code for our menu, or what? Yes. What do you mean by that? Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. If you look on the CDC website, there's all kinds of um, information on the vaccines, and there are codes to that where people um, can. How about? Um, you know, with the second dose, sometimes people are having a more serious, you know, or a little bit stronger side effects. And are are you saying anything or in advance of that? Or how, how are you addressing that? I was just gonna say, I think, you know, it's a pretty, pretty common. I mean, I think 
the, the social media is what it is and people kind of anticipate a little bit. And, um, and for, I think the bigger question is for someone who had a relatively strong reaction the first time they do become a little bit fearful about the second one. So, you know, I think it's like when you if your first child is a terror, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have a hard time thinking about having a second one, but eventually you forget about it and you move on. So, and then somehow you have a third, but, um, but, uh, so I think it's important to acknowledge that. And just to remind people that, you know, uh, a day or two of, I mean, it can be, I mean, it's rough. I've, I've definitely, I mean, I was lucky and I didn't have much, but, um, but my wife was pretty laid out with her second one, uh, for a day. And that's far better than being on a ventilator for four weeks. I mean, I think that's the other thing too, when, you know, if people are going to talk to you about the J and J vaccine. And uh, again, as Deborah said, that's why I tell people the best vaccine for you is the one that we have for you today. But if people are concerned about the J and J vaccine, I remind them first that, you know, Six months ago, if we had a vaccine that was 70% uh, effective, we would have been over the moon with that. Um, but the other thing is that that the vaccines are very good, including the J&J, excellent about preventing people from severe disease, ICU and death. And so reminding people that it may be, you may be miserable for a day or two, hopefully not, but that's far better, far, far better than being miserable for four weeks on a ventilator in the ICU. And, uh, and again, it's reminding people that the endpoints are not simply 1% death and doing well, that there are a lot in between of real misery and, and, and enduring hardship. And so hopefully, you know, you'll only, you'll be one of the 90% of people who don't have any severe reaction, but yeah, some people wind up laid, laid up. And when I say severe, that's not even severe, right? I mean, laid up is, you know, misery for a day, but Tylenol, fluids, Motrin, you'll get through it. And then you can be optimistic about the, the rest of your time. Right. So we have that minimum 15 minute wait time once they get the vaccine. We have a, a educational program that we're having our observers go from exam room to exam room with a handout on side effects and what to do about the side effects and just saying you might have these and just putting it right out there that these are a possibility and that's what vaccines do with your body to build antibodies and here's what you can do about it. And then of course, we give them other literature and information because of our population on, uh, we have a lot of uh, food insecurity. We want everybody to get connected to the community clinic if they don't have a provider. So we're going from room to room with that 15 minutes, just utilizing that to, to our great advantage to get our patients connected with healthcare, connected with food and other resources, and understand what the vaccine does. And the handouts are on the CDC website and just a one page, don't try to jam them full of that six page information sheet. It, you know, that one page very quickly. If you have this, do this. If you have that, do that. And make sure again that it's, we have English on one side and Spanish on the other. And it's very simple to hand it out. And then we have, um, remember, you might have people that uh, do not read. Uh, so that we also go over it orally with every patient to make sure that they understand. Um, what the side effects could be and just, you know, possibly expect them and then they're not surprised. I think being surprised sometimes when you feel bad, is like, oh my goodness, what's this? So. I, I almost want to tell people congratulations. You know, you're having a strong immune response. That means it's working. But, I, 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 but the, the downside of that is another people go, wait a minute, I didn't have a strong response. Does that right. mean, I, you know, I'm not. So I have to reassure people about that. But uh, 
Yeah, I think one other point that I, I didn't make and I just want to bring up here um, is about people's concerns about, well, what if I had COVID or I'm pretty sure I had COVID, do I still need the vaccine? And I think it's important to remind people there that, um, first of all, we don't test people to see if they've had, they're having asymptomatic COVID because there's no contraindication for having the vaccine, if you, even if you're actively having COVID. And the other thing to point out to people is that the way that COVID works on the immune system, you actually get a much stronger response to the vaccine than you do to natural disease in terms of your body building its immune, uh, immune globulins and, and, uh, and killer T cells and B cells and all the other things that make you um, uh, have a better chance against COVID. So having a history of COVID is not a, is not a contraindication. Having active COVID is not a contraindication. The CDC certainly says you can wait nine months, I'm not sorry, not nine months, three months, if you, 90 days if you've had COVID, um, or, but uh, it's not a contraindication. So I think people understanding that, I got that question a lot yesterday in the vaccine clinic. I think I had COVID, it doesn't matter. Get the vaccine, you'll be better protected. big thank you to today's presenter, participants, and our listeners. I'm your host, Kelly Bond, and we'll see you next time in the QI chat room. Mm-hmm.